That's what she said is presented by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Hockey has returned to ESPN. The NHL is starting back up, and that means you can stream your team's games on ESPN Plus from the Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning to the brand new Seattle Kraken. Subscribe to ESPN Plus so you don't miss a goal. Also, be sure to follow In the Crease, the ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. Also, check out Bald Men on Campus, a new ESPN podcast hosted by Jay Billis, LaFonso Ellis, and Seth Greenberg. These ESPN basketball personalities give you an all-access pass inside the world of college basketball, talking to the biggest names in the sport. That's Bald Men on Campus. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. At Academy Sports and Outdoors, they want you to have fun out there. So whether you're planning a fishing trip, heading out for a run, prepping your lease, or playing sports in the backyard, they have all the gear you need to enjoy more sports and outdoors. All at prices you'll love. And with easy curbside pickup available in just two hours, it's never been easier to shop all of their brands at academy.com. Because whatever you love doing, they're here to help you do more of it. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. Hi, my name is Becky Hammond, and my dilemma is I like carbohydrates too much. All right, listen. I'm not even going to talk to you about swapping in quote-unquote good carbs or trying to trick your cravings by eating jicama chips or zoodles or drink a bunch of water or something like that. You're an elite athlete. You already know this stuff. Plus, I don't believe in it. Life is too short to deny yourself the carbs that you love. Crush the pizza, eat the pasta, nosh the bagel, take some breaks every once in a while for some roughage, get some salads in there. You'll be fine. That's what she said. This week is another extra special podcast brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Academy Sports and Outdoors and I have teamed up to bring you two exciting episodes of this podcast, That's What She Said, featuring insightful conversations with captivating women who are blazing trails in the sports world and in the great outdoors. Guests range from a WNBA legend to a professional fly fishing guide to an NCAA conference commissioner. And today, you'll hear from San Antonio Spurs assistant coach Becky Hammond, ESPN star Laura Rutledge, and hardcore carnivore founder Jess Priles. You can listen to That's What She Said, presented by Academy, wherever you get your pods. That's what she said. If you love this podcast, please go to the iTunes or podcast app and follow, rate, and review this podcast. A lot of people ask how to do that. Basically, the best way to do it is either go to the app on your phone if you already have it, or you can Google That's What She Said with Sarah Spain podcast. Go to iTunes, and when you scroll down, it'll give you the opportunity there to rate it with stars, give a review. Like Lola13419, who wrote, Sarah is one of the best interviewers. She gets the best out of people and doesn't tiptoe around any issue. She takes the crap that people dish out on social media and she blows past them. She's a pit bull and animal advocate. Whoever is in her circle of family, friends, and coworkers are all better because of it. I'm inspired by just being a fan. Lola, that is the nicest. Thank you so much. Um, And also shout out to Pities. Yes, we've currently got another one in the house that we're taking care of for a while, a 50-pound man-child with absolutely no training, uh, in addition to our three pities, uh, well, mixes that we already have. But shout out to all of them, and thanks for the nice note. 
Okay, let's get to my first guest, who I am thrilled to have on, as she doesn't do a lot of interviews. So thank you, Academy, for the hookup. It's the incredible Becky Hammond, a three-time All-American basketball player for the Colorado State Rams, turned into a Liberty and San Antonio Stars WNBA star. Recently named to the W25, a.k.a. the greatest 25 WNBA players of all time. Currently an assistant coach for the San Antonio Spurs, she has earned many firsts. First female full-time assistant coach in NBA history. First female full-time assistant coach in any of the four major men's professional sports in North America. First woman to be a head coach in the NBA Summer League. And during the 2020 season, the first female acting head coach in NBA history after Spurs head coach Greg Popovich was ejected in a game. Uh, she's also interviewed for a few head coaching gigs in the league, and we talked about that, working with Coach Pop, spearfishing, wine drinking, J-Lo, more. Enjoy. That's what she said. I'm super, super, super pumped that Academy Sports has ended up putting me on an interview with Becky Hammond, who I've been dying to get for years, and I wanted to start there. You are a private person, and you are someone who doesn't overdo it on the interviews. Is there an ethos behind that, or do you just not like to spend your free time talking to strangers? <laughs> Probably a little bit of both. <laughs> um, you know, I also am part of a big team in an organization, and I think um, it's always at the forefront that our guys are out in front of people, um, us coaches less so. So I try to always be cognizant of that. Um, and I'm picky. I'm picky on who I talk to. There's no doubt about that. But um, when I do sit down, I want it to be impactful. And I think uh, just not – when this whole thing first broke back in 2014, like I was tired of seeing me mm-hmm. everywhere. I was just like the saturation part was just like, okay, people, enough, enough, enough. Um, so, uh, less is more, I guess. Yeah. It's not a bad strategy because it is true that especially women who are are groundbreaking in the roles that they're in sometimes can become hated for no other reason than just the number of times you see their face and hear them talk, which is an unfair, you know, part of the whole thing. So, uh, can we blame pop for it though? Cause he doesn't really like media either. Or was, were were you already uh, considering this before you even got into his, uh, into his world? Well, we know who he is with the media, yeah. um, but honestly, I think that first go around, I mean, I don't think any, we, none of us expected it to kind of blow up like it did. I mean, and then we had to have a plan. So I think just, you know, uh, powwowing a little bit together and, and coming up with a, a plan that we could um, execute and that was tactfully done and we get out the message that we want to talk about. Um, and so I think a lot of times the more talking you do, which I'll probably start rambling at some point. And if I start <laughs> like, okay, stop talking, um, you know, the more talking you do, the more trouble you can get into sometimes. So um, we just try to be really um, particular on the outlets and, and who we're talking to. Yeah. And then, like I said, I would rather do a, you know, one really great piece than 20 pieces that didn't have a lot of thought. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an intentionality that is probably, learned over time too, because when you, when you do some and they don't turn out the way you want and, or like you said, you just get sick of yourself, you realize you're, you're better off picking your battles. So this past weekend you were in, uh, you were at the finals and and part of the ceremony was this incredible gathering of some of the 25 best, the W 25 ever. And I want you to take me back to however far back you would need to go for it to be the most unbelievable thing you could imagine, whether that's South Dakota or whether you had big dreams back then, or maybe it was barely making the Liberty and coming off the bench and turning that 
into, you know, Hall of Fame career? Well, I got to tell you, I can't, obviously I'm from South Dakota and um, not a lot of recruiting was done in South Dakota. <laughs> I mean, you didn't have the tools, right? You couldn't jump on YouTube and be like, oh, show me this player. Um, we just didn't have that. And so uh, I went to a private school basically up through eighth grade and then moved over to the public school. And back then we didn't have like a crazy AAU program. So, you know, my, my goal was, you know, to, I've always wanted to play in the Olympics. That was always a goal. Um, you know, ever since I heard like Whitney Houston belting out, give me one moment in time. I was like, I want that yes. moment. I want that. <laughs> um, but back then, you know, there's no WNBA. There's no really, it's like you had, to, if you were my dad, I can just remember telling me, you know, if you're really good, maybe you can go to college on a scholarship which he's thinking, yeah, save me some money. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, you know, maybe go overseas. But then once uh, the WNBA uh, started up, that immediately became the goal in 1997. I think I was a sophomore in college. And um, that immediately became the goal. And, um, you know, I had a great college career. I was very good in college, but I happened to be coming over at a time when another professional league was folding. And so I wasn't drafted. And honestly, like, and I talked about this a little, uh, a couple of days ago, we just, when you get that call from the WNBA commissioner saying you're top 25 at 25, I was like, it's always surreal for me. It's always surreal for me because I was never supposed to be here. Right. <laughs> like I, I'm the kid that doesn't get picked. Um, I'm the, kind of the kid that, that has gotten looked over a lot. And so for me going into New York as a free agent, a, I didn't understand that they had no intentions of keeping me when I showed up. I just thought I had a fair shot like everybody else. And my naiveness about the whole situation actually probably helped me because it was just about going in and competing every day. And, you know, I'm like, every day I went in, like, you're not going to cut me today. You're not going to mm -hmm. cut me today. And that turned into eight years. And then <laughs> I got traded eight years in San Antonio. So it was really just became about taking care of today um, and what our opportunities presented itself that day. And so then you get a call like that and it's like, when, so when you talk about dreams, it's like, I never even dreamed it. My dreams are way too small. I was just yeah. trying to make the team. Yeah. Um, and obviously you get a little taste of success and you want to keep getting better and better. And um, I've never been short on competitiveness and my competitiveness is really what made me keep improving every year, every year, every year to, to where you're competing with the best and in the same sentences with the best. And um, it's amazing. I mean, I've dedicated my life to basketball. It's been my first love. Um, and luckily for me, it's loved me right back. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what is your favorite word? Love. Love. What a great word. I can't believe no one said it yet. An intense feeling of deep affection. This is from the Old English lufu, which is of Germanic origin. And eventually in the early 15th century, to fall in love or to be in love with someone. Uh, 1570s, to make love in the sense of uh, paying amorous attention to. Uh, in tennis, as in no score, love arrived in 1742. As a euphemism for have sex is 1950. And most importantly, 1967, love handles. The fat on your sides. <laughs> love, a great word. Good choice. Speaking of great words. You're going to learn today. The word of the week is hazard. 
a danger or risk. It's a word we all know, but did you know its origin? Because I did not. And it comes to you in honor of my trip to Vegas last week where I watched my Chicago Bears put a beaten on the Raiders. I did a little gambling. Or um, as I spin it after potentially losing, I invested in the casino. Uh, Anyway, did you know that Hazard is the name of a game of dice from the old French in 1300? And it evolved in French to chances in gambling and then chances in life. And in English, the meaning of, you know, a chance of loss or harm or risk was first recorded in the 1540s. So hazard, gamble, similar. In a sentence then, not to take anything away from the Bears' performance on Sunday, but I think with all the penalties the Raiders had, we might have to check their locker room for choking hazards. Choke. And things only got worse from there. But that's a story for another time for the Raiders. Now let's get back to the interview. You know, I I think about the early WNBA and I don't think at the time I was aware of this. I I, I was too young to really understand what dynamics were at play. But now I look back and, you know, and and talking to to people like Sue Bird about, you know, let's throw them on the top of a car or like let's put them in a halter top with a bunch of makeup. And like it's so anti the, the, the players that we now know them as they are and who they are and also what drives interest in the sport. You were not one of the faces of the WNBA when it started and when you started. So you probably weren't shoved into as many of those kind of things. But at what point during the early years of the WNBA did you maybe feel a pivot point where it was let's lean into the basketball or who these players are versus let's be kind of at odds because we think we want to sell them one way versus what is actually the product? I think um, in one sense, you know, at the end of the day, this is a business, right? So professional basketball uh, for women. And there was no really business model. We only had men's models. And so at that point, it, it kind of plays into the whole idea of what we're taught from when we're little girls, what you look like matters, what your body Mm -hmm. looks like matters. And it's not so much the skill or how smart you are, how you, it's like, so this stuff is programmed into us as girls from a very young age. And I think at that point, like we kind of didn't know any better in a sense, like we knew better, but we didn't really know better because Mm -hmm. we were more interested in trying to make money. Well, here's the thing, put a great product out there and it will make some money for you. And I think the women having to navigate that, right? Because we think only men watch sports and granted they are a large population that watch sports, but we were missing out on half the population mm-hmm. hitting these, um, these areas where uh, we could really get into not only young girls, but young boys and in, into these households and to where the mom's excited to go to a game, you know, and it's not just the dad trying to, you know, get his, only daughter to play sports because he's dying because he didn't have a boy, you know? Um, and so I, I think it's a, it's that. And then it's a little bit of, you got to know your own value. Like don't sell that when you have this over mm-hmm. here. Like, and so I think now that the WNBA has legs um, and, and you see more and more of the NBA guys, the support there. And I think, um, you know, the allyship, because the first thing that everybody wants to do is compare the WNBA to the NBA. It is both professional basketball. And I think the fact that LeBron James and Chris Paul and Steph Curry and James Harden, and Kevin Durant can like find great value and um, entertainment in watching the women play should tell you the artistry and the amount of time that it takes um, to become elite at anything. I don't care if it's basketball or music. If you want to be elite, when the other elite recognize you as elite, yeah, 
it's like now you can make some ground and make some statements and uh, really put some at the end of the day, you know, butts in the seats. That's what it's about. Yeah, the product now is significantly better than it was before, but it's not just that. It's also, I think, a real sea change in terms of understanding, um, like you said, it, treating it as a business, marketing it as a business, understanding the audience that you have and the audience that you're looking for. And I think there's a real pivot point in women's sports right now in understanding that it doesn't have to just be exactly the same as the men's, but women are playing it. You can try to appeal differently to a crowd. There are plenty of people who don't like the atmosphere at an NBA game or an NFL game. I remember talking yeah. to a soccer team owner abroad and they had Prosecco on tap. And you could, you know what I mean? Like they were like, here's, let's try some other things. Why not see if people want something different than the usual? And I think the WNBA is leading the way in trying to think differently in recent years and really lean into who they are and who the players are, which is huge. So what's interesting though, is you take your own personal experiences, your tremendous talent as an athlete. And because of a couple injuries, you find the opportunity instead of going abroad to sit and learn from pop and to be on a coaching bench and to, to, to consider what the next part of your basketball life might look like. Were you at all intimidated by taking that knowledge to the men's side or for you, was it, Hey, this is just basketball from day one. I mean, it's always, I don't care who you are. This is genderless. You walk into a film room with Greg Popovich, Tim Duncan, <laughs> Monty Ginobili, and Tony Parker, and you're going to sit up there and give them a scouting report? They've been doing this for 20 plus years. Like, you know, so I think there was a real, for me, um, basketball is basketball. I could sit there and tell you how to break down a pick and roll, but for me, it was really learning the league, learning our guys and, and really getting knowledgeable about what coaches do, what this coach likes, this kind of style or um, this player. And, and, you know, as a WNBA player, obviously I watched the NBA, um, but, you know, I didn't know who number 12, 13, 14 was and, mm-hmm. um, on the bench and, and what they did and their strengths. So to me, it was a whirlwind of vocabulary terminology um, because that's not, again, that's a genderless thing that has to do with this team might call it this and this team calls it this and, and just learning the lingo. Um, so that first year, I felt like my head was just spinning with names constantly. It was like, oh, you're an idiot. You can't remember. Well, it's because I've just had an influx of 200 names of players and coaches that like I had had no interaction with. And so trying to learn that um, my first year um, and like I said, I don't care who you are. You walk in and Tim Duncan's sitting there and you're going to like, I'm listening to Tim. You, mm-hmm. <laughs> you give me the coach. You, you, you could coach me on all your tips and, and watching them. But the biggest thing was just acclimating them. And, and here's the thing that I think often people overlook is that like, okay, you're the only woman. And how is that for you? And how do they interact with you? And da, 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 da. And, you know, it's kind of really based on myself and my experiences. Well, I like to flip the coin as in all the conversations, I would like to flip the coin and be like, this is new for them too. Right. To have a woman in their presence and to, um, you know, how does that look and feel to them? So it's like, everybody is in a little bit of how is this going to work? And um, to be honest with you, it was very seamless. It was very seamless. These guys had watched me. They knew me. I had been in their gym rehab, literally your Jersey too, hanging in the rafters. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> so, you know, it was, and, and then it's just the culture that kind of the Spurs um, cultivate, you know uh, it's no games. You come to work and we're here to get better and serve each other. And it's about the players and, and, and winning. 
It's so true because it's about the respect shown to you by the people that they respect. And so if pop shows up and says, I believe this person makes us better then only someone who is not interested in getting better or who is that self-sabotaging will (laughs) put aside the, the desire to get better and for the team to get better because of some sort of antiquated idea of whether or not you're qualified. I'm glad to hear it was seamless. I I was going to ask for your lowest moment, but it it feels like um, a lot of those stereotypes about men not being ready um, or vice versa are, are, what slows down the progress instead of the reality of when the opportunities actually come up and how, how often they result in great success for both sides. I'm curious over the course of your time with pop, what your biggest difference of opinion in terms of strategy or approach or game plan or something was, and how did you handle that? Well, I mean, he's evolved and changed over time too, right? Like the NBA eight years ago is a little bit different than it is now. I mean, does he still think threes are not basketball? (laughs) <laughs> he knows that, <laughs> but he's, he's, he's getting, you know, he, he's starting to like that a little bit more and understands the game and understands the evolution of the game. And, you know, there's so many times where he's such a purist um, and it's worked. I mean, you can't, you can't question the results, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there's times where he goes crazy and, and is super mad. It's like, that's the one we have to shoot more threes. Like, I'm sorry, you don't love it. You didn't love how it looked and you would have loved it more if it went in, but they're not going to make all of them and we got to keep, you know, encouraging them to shoot it. So he's evolved. Um, But again, I I think the, to me, what I've seen, especially with this group that we have now, it's, it's, we're in a little bit of a rebuild, whatnot. Um, And his energy level coming in every day with these guys and, really being able to teach, teach, you know, because for so long, it's like, he didn't really have to teach like Tim's teaching, Manu's teaching, Tony's teaching. There's all these people that can help, you know, he calls a play first day of training camp, even though there's seven new guys, they all go out and do the same thing. It's like, well, cause he had all those other coaches on the floor. So I think developing these, this new uh, generation of leaders and and, and a new extension of a coach on the floor with him has been fun um, for him on a lot of different levels. You obviously are in a really enviable position. There's only so many teams. There's only so many coaching spots. But because you are this groundbreaking figure within the NBA, there is a ton of pressure put on you every single time there's a job opening. How difficult is that for you? Because I talk a lot about on this podcast, just like a mental approach to happiness in life. And so much of it is is being present and not presuming that everything would be better if you got X or Y, whether that's money or a different job or whatever it is, really understanding happiness in the in the moment. And for you, even if you choose that, everybody around you is constantly trying to push you into a new role or a new place. How hard is that for you to deal with? Honestly, I try not to think about it. I try to just be about the day, the day's opportunities, just like my same approach. Actually, when I was coming into uh, New York, like, what can I do to get better today? What can I do to help us today? Because it, be, it, it gets overwhelming. It gets me off topic, right? Like, um, so I try, I really try not to think about it. And I think, um, you know, when, when I go in, it, it's become people want it so bad for me. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. which is actually kind of weird for me because I'm not used to being picked, you know? So then people are starting to really cheer for you and pull for you. And then, you know, organizations, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a double-sided coin 
in, in the sense of like, I don't want organizations to not bring me in because a circus follows me. You bring me in, you're going to be in the news. You're going to do this, this, and then you don't hire me. And then that's another whole circus or you do hire me and that's going to be a huge, another huge, you know what I mean? So I don't want to get teams into this situation of you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't bring me in because I'm the most qualified person to lead your team, period. And that's what it has to be about. And anytime my focus becomes other than that, um, becomes other than my, the, the San Antonio Spurs right now, um, I'm doing the team a disservice. I'm doing myself a disservice and I'm doing all these fans a disservice. The best thing I can do is take care of today, continue to improve and understand that all this process is preparation for what comes next and, yeah. and use it as that and use it. I, I get smarter and better every time I go in. And, and so uh, more experienced, more comfortable. Yeah. So at this least step, the interviews help your current job because you learn yeah. more and more about your opposition and it's just sure. an enhancement of the job you're already doing. Yeah. I guess when you are looking at your strategy for interviews, um, there's probably a slightly different process for you than everybody else. I'm sure it starts the same, but then they really have to get into the brass tacks of how do you handle yourself as a leader in that position, which would be the first time. Can you tell when you're in an interview, whether a team is really, really like we would hire her tomorrow if she's the best or whether they still haven't really wrapped their head around what it would mean to hire you and, and maybe even ones that are just bringing you in so they could say they did. You know, I, I think that's a slippery slope again, that I try to avoid. I'm, I don't want to get into assuming you're thinking this or assuming you're thinking that whether I'm assuming you, you don't want me Right. I'll assume I'm there, not wasting your time. These are all very big time, important people. I'm assuming you're not doing this for a tagline in a newspaper. Like the NBA is bigger than this. You can always get taglines. Um, so going in and even if I know I, I start the race behind, right? Like it's never deterred me from getting in the race. It just hasn't. I wouldn't be here if I didn't get in the races. I mean, I've, to me, you know, I'm, I'm small. I come from a very rural area, you know, uh, if I was listening to other people tell me all the reasons why I shouldn't even get in the race, like we're not even sitting here talking. I'm somebody who I'm going to get in there and I'm going to try and I might fail miserably, but it's not going to be for lack of trying. Right. Um, that's been my whole career. That's who I am. And I'm somebody who like, uh, you can hit me and I might even fall down, but like, I'm not staying down. And so there's been certain hits that have been hard over these last eight years, they, they, they have been, um, but I'm still here and I get back up and I keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I think, um, it's gotten me this far. So I think it's a good strategy. <laughs> it seems like it. Uh, you said after the Portland hire that you knew that you were their second choice, that you knew that they were looking to hire Chauncey. Um, sure. but that also followed with, with a leak allegedly about why they didn't hire you. How did you handle that? Honestly, our brass brought me in was like, this didn't come from us. We don't know, you know, leak here, leak there. The, the NBA is fickle. It's funny. You can, we, there's some people that like, don't want me to succeed. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. There's some people, they'll never say it publicly. Mm -hmm. They might email it and then it'll get caught a couple of years right? later and then they'll and get fired right, right after right a Sunday thing. football game. That's right. <laughs> right. Everybody's going to say the right thing when the camera's on and the Spurs have been very good to me this whole time. They've continued to um, 
progressed me, I think, in a very reasonable and respectable way. And, you know, all I can tell you is the three big dogs in our company uh, sat me down. I was like, this absolutely did not come from us. And it was reassuring. I was like, well, I assume that it didn't because, <laughs> you know, I keep moving along here in, in, a, in a good way and you keep rewarding me in certain ways. And so I like people are going to say what they want to say. Like that could be when you talk about from from the Spurs organization, how many people in, from the Spurs organization are around the league? Like hunt and, and who knows? And anytime you don't want to put your name on something, whether it's on social media or it's a tweet or this and that to me, that's just cowardly. You want to say it, come out and say it. Right. Don't, don't sit there and hide behind it. And you know, that's the point is, I don't really think that has anything to do with anything. Um, I appreciate Portland giving me the opportunity and uh, I've known Chauncey. Chauncey's a great guy. Um, and so, you know, I wish them nothing but the best, not only to Chauncey, but as an organization. You said after that, you just want any team to hire the best person. Do you think that right now there are teams that aren't making that choice because of not even just gender or anything else, but that politics or any other issue gets in the way still in terms of, of who gets these jobs? Well, here's the thing. Um, these jobs are hard to get. You know, people are like, there's 30 jobs. It's like, no, there's not. <laughs> there's like four. There's like Every four in a while. Yeah. <laughs> and then... So these jobs are extremely hard to get for anyone, for anyone. Now, throw in the fact that like, if you're interviewing for a head coaching job, your season probably didn't go the way you wanted it to go. So that person is now a little bit on the hot seat too. And people that are on the hot seat tend not to want to try new things or be different. You know, they, they tend to want to be like, okay, this comes down to putting food on my table. I'm kind of going with, um, you know, safe, something safe that's been done before. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, people's intentions in interviewing me, I don't know. I, only they can answer that. That's a question for them to answer. What I can tell you is when I go in and I prepare for these teams, I get to know their, their organization better, their owner, ownership group, their players better. And it just helps me as a coach. And so I'm grateful for that kind of growth opportunities um, to dive into these certain teams. And if they're using me, I, that's nothing I can do about them. Right. Use I'm them right back. Knowledge. I'm use yeah, them, use them right knowledge back. and experience <laughs> right there too. Right. So, right. Um, you know, it's a super competitive field and I, I'm, the ball is never moving fast enough for me. Um, when you look around the league, I wish there was more women. There's not another one sitting on the front bench. Um, so it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard these, to get these positions, let alone a head coaching position, which are extremely brutal uh, to get. And then what comes along with it, the amount of pressure and stress and everything else. Um, it's a lot. So they, they, these people that are doing the hiring process, you know, it's going to take a lot mm-hmm. for, for somebody to say, Hey, they got to believe it in their We're core. Ready. Right. Yeah. They got to believe it in their core because a lot of people can say the right thing, but when it comes down to putting food on your table, doing things for your organization, you know, it's okay when it's kind of off there in the distance and everybody else, yeah, that's a great idea. You should try it. But then when someone <laughs> says, oh no, you should do it. Then it's like, oh no, 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 wait, now, wait a minute. You know? So, 
Um, it's going to have to take, as in any situation, male or female, you got to be the right person at the right job in front of the right people at the right time. And so that is hard to do. Yeah. There's no doubt. You talk about the pressure. It's there, even if you're not a head coach, especially in your position, because there is such a focus on you being that best opportunity for that to happen. I, I, I'm a Bulls fan. So I remember hearing about Tom Thibodeau when he was the head coach of the Bulls. He wore the exact same outfit every day. He lived in a hotel. He like ate the same thing. He just wanted to remove every possible choice he had to make during the day that didn't involve basketball because that's how dedicated he had to be. Just film all day, practice all day. What do you do when you are not working? Do you go outside and exercise? Do you drink wine with pop and talk about, you know, your favorites? What, what is your choice for relaxation? I drink so much pop, uh, wine with pop during <laughs> basketball stuff. I'm sure I'm right. the last person he wants to see yeah. on his downtime drinking wine with. Um, <laughs> we, we put away a few bottles for sure. I, bet. Um, I love the outdoors. I love getting outside. Um, I obviously have two little boys that are full of energy and full of juice and go. So it, whether it's throwing the football around or jumping into the pool and throwing a football at him or shooting hoops while we're in the pool, um, I end up outdoors a lot of times. Now, if it's just me and I have a choice, I'm going spear fishing or scuba diving or deep sea fishing. Okay. Competitive. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, you know, man versus beast. It's fun. <laughs> My family right now is actually on a great white dive that I was supposed to be at last year, but then got canceled because of COVID. So they're out there swimming with great whites now. And, uh, mm. I'm talking to you, sir. So. And you're talking to me, doing some work, <laughs> getting ready for basketball. Somebody got to work around here. Getting ready for basketball season. How old are the boys? Six and three. Oh, yeah. One more thing. So this is a place for rants, raves, whatever's on my mind, something you should read, something you should watch, something you should listen to. And of course, this week, it's another podcast here. Two more amazing guests that are tacked onto the end of this one, thanks to Academy. So first, listen to the Spanish Inquisition with Becky Hammond. Then the bonus pod, listen after the Inquisition for my conversation with two more super badass ladies, ESPN's own Laura Rutledge and Jess Pryles, who's a live fire cook and author and the creator of hardcore carnivore spices and rubs. But first, Becky. Okay, well, we're running out of time here, which means you do have to do the one thing that everybody does and nobody expects. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition, 10 speed round questions. Number one, your current career is canceled. Basketball does not exist. What job do you do instead? Uh, something in homicide work, police work. Oh, interesting. Like detective work? Yeah. Do you watch all those shows or you just... I like do. I love them. Wow. Dateline 2020, all yeah, of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Oh, gosh. Uh, I guess probably being in a plane that I thought was going to crash. That's a good one. That'll do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> number three, you can be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it? Best in the world at one this is easy for me. I would love to feel just one time what it feels like to just jump over something and dunk a basketball on a really <laughs> 10 foot hoop and not my lower, you know, yeah. hoop in my driveway one time. You are small. Uh, so I yeah, small. you would, you would vertically need to... challenged. <laughs> yes. You want to jump over a car or something like Blake Griffin dunk contest style. 
Yes. Or like I see some of our guys, you know, Lonnie Walker or some, I'm like one time I would like to do that just one time. Yeah. What that feels like to jump that high. Uh, I have like a negative vertical. It's like <laughs> I jump and I go down. It's, it's very well, weird. The worst part is the older you get, you try to play sports you used to play and you can't jump at the same time anymore. So your timing's mm-hmm. all off. Like I try to go play beach volleyball and I'm like, I got to jump way later because I'm not up there very long. <laughs> It's so sad. It's so sad how it goes away quickly. It is so depressing. I'm like, Um, damn, I used to be good at this. Right. But then meanwhile, I remember I talked to David Robinson a couple of years ago and I kind of like flippantly was like, when was the last time you dunked? And he was like this morning. And I was like, shit. Damn. (laughs) Um, Number four, what current celebrity from music, politics, TV or sports would you most like to be your best friend? Oh, gosh, my best friend. I have to go with either. I'll go with the Jennifers, either Jennifer Lopez or Jennifer Aniston. Why not both? Let's just, I'll let you have both. That'd be fun. I'd fly on the wall for that one. Jennifer Aniston. She's like the friend, right? So she's, she's yeah. Be friend. yeah. She also does seem though, like a really good friend based on her interactions with like her ex when she goes on like that smartless pod and they talk about how she always has people to her house and she's the best hostess and is super chill. She just seems very down to earth. She does. She does. J-Lo a little bit the opposite, but that would be fun too. Cause I'd like to be on the she's yacht. From and the also, block. I need she's from the block. You just need she, to like grab a drink. She, yeah, I guess. Uh, or, but also Jenny from the, like, I live on a yacht and somehow my ass looks like I'm 25. Like you could I'm, also I'm be to... down my aisle of Jenny from the yacht. There oh, you go. Man, you could spear fish. That's you could it. cook up the fish for lunch. This would be perfect. Um, uh, number five, what's your most meaningless pet peeve? My meaningless pet like peeve. Like your biggest pet peeve that's really not all that important, but it bugs you. Uh, when you're in the shower and you have that loose curtain and it like sticks to your leg. Mm-hmm. Or hair in the sink. No hair. I can't stand hair in the sink. Yeah, I'm with you on oh, that. really that's gross. Really oh. gross. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? most embarrassed i mean i'm i have plenty dumb stuff in my back seat that i've done um (laughs) not in my back seat but like you know yeah just bodies literal literal bodies (laughs) yeah everybody calm down um (laughs) most embarrassed i don't know that's a hard one uh calling somebody their wrong name like Somebody super important. You're like, oh, hey. Mm-hmm. And then somebody says, oh, that's, that's not their name. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, number seven. What's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Gosh, there's a lot of things. Um, <laughs> that sounds great, right? There's a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I wish maybe getting better at time management at times. Yeah, that's a good um, one. It's a hard one to balance. Uh, I feel like once my season starts, a lot of times I'm just like zoned in. Number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play at your next party. Who is it? Uh, Whitney Houston singing. Oh, that'd be so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number nine, what would you consider your biggest failure? I really don't look at it. Things like that, honestly. Um, because probably my biggest failures have been the things that made me the toughest and the strongest and more resilient in the end and have made me grow the most. So although they're super unpleasant as not winning or failing always is, those are the things that like kind of make me me. And I've done it so many times. That, like 
you learn to, uh, you learn a lot about yourself, but I think you learn how tough you are. And so when the next battle comes, you know, like I said, you might hit me, but maybe I don't stay down as long or I come back quicker or you just start to form this resilient habit about coming back. So failures, I wouldn't say I've failed. Um, say that I have a lot of times where I didn't get the result that I wanted. Um, but failure uh, doesn't really go into the equation for me. Honestly, it's like, what do I need to learn from this? What did I learn from this? Cause this sucked. And how do I avoid this in the future? <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's, an answer I get a lot. it's hard to pick just one. Yeah, no, I get that answer a lot. Cause I think it's part of the key to being a successful person I think is to reframe it, and learn instead of getting stuck, you know, belaboring a failure. I could say the what, like, if you want to reframe it, like one of the biggest disappointments for my whole life was probably like, one of them would be like not getting drafted. Like that was a huge disappointment, but again, okay, what am I going to do with that now? Not being picked for the USA team um, for the Olympics. You know, that was always a goal of mine. And then they didn't want me. And so, and, and, but then I look back at both of these and they're such an integral part of my story and journey and the preparation and this whole thing of, of what I'm doing now, right? Like the course of my life, had to happen a certain way in order for mm -hmm. me to end up here now. And so, like I said, I, I've had many disappointments, but failures, no, no. Yeah. Uh, finally, number 10, what three individual words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Loving, thankful, and generous. Mm, those are good. Final bonus, who should I have on the podcast? It could be anyone from any industry that you think I would find interesting. I don't know. I feel like the Dos Equis guy is like the most interesting man <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Which one? Is. Which one? The one that uh, that they didn't give a big enough contract and then they tried to introduce a new one and we were all like, that's not the guy. We don't oh, like I, him as much. <laughs> I, got, I mean, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but we went um, to 2014 <laughs> we go to the white house and we're doing this, we're doing the tour with the team and president Obama's there. And we're doing this. All of a sudden we go into one room, swear to God, the most interesting man in what? the world there. And it was like, what is the most interesting man in the world doing here? Like, like turns around. It was like a, a commercial. Seriously. It was crazy. It was. Did hysterical. you ever find out why it was there? Nope. We just took some pictures and kept it moving. <laughs> Oh, well, now I got to get to the, uh, now I'm going to be the detective. I need to find out why he was there. That's wild. That's wild. That was funny. All right. I'll look into that. I'll look into that. Um, anybody else? Who's, who's a player from the Spurs that I should have on? Who's an interesting cat? Oh, boy. Keldon Johnson's full of, uh, he's entertaining. Okay. Um, Derek is, is super knowledgeable on a vast amount of things. Okay. Um, I th DJ has a super interesting story and journey to tell. So you have all these different guys that kind of have these different, different um, yeah. aspects to them. Uh, yeah. But I like our group. We're young and we're going to take our beings, but there's going to be some great moments along the way too. So we're excited about the season. Awesome. Well, go get back to film and everything else. Thank you so much, Becca. It was really great to talk to you. Yeah. Take care. Thanks for having me. That's what she said. Hi, I'm Jess Priles, and my dilemma is figuring out how to calm my dog during storms when all she wants to do is sleep on my head. All right. Well, I imagine that you've already heard of this, but I'm going to go ahead and suggest a thunder shirt for the dog. 
I don't really know how it works. I mean, I've read about how it's supposed to work. I still don't quite understand it, but it's a miracle worker when there's fireworks, when there's a storm, when my one of my three dogs that tends to react most poorly to those loud noises, uh, we put him in the thunder shirt. He's better. So if you don't have one, that is my number one recommendation. Also, at some point, uh, all dog owners must just accept that their dog will sleep on their face. So I guess, you know, at some point you got to stop fighting that and just and just let it happen. Hi, my name is Laura Rutledge, and I am trying to figure out how to make a pizza casserole before I go to work with all the other things that I have to do today. First of all, I would like to let everyone know that we are recording this at like nine in the morning. And so the fact that Laura is cooking up a delicious meal, presumably for dinner tonight uh, at 9 a.m. before heading off to work to host NFL Live, uh, that she has got a baby on a hip and is is making a, an involved dinner. Uh, it's remarkable. Uh, I don't really have any way to fix that dilemma. You've chosen it for yourself, both the child on the hip and the decision to make a big dinner. But I'm impressed. Um, and Godspeed, I suppose. The good news with whatever a pizza casserole is, is it feels like it doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, that's usually the, the case with casseroles. Just don't overcook it too much. Uh, but if it's uh, a, some sort of cheesy mess, that sounds delicious. And I will assume that you nailed it. That's what she said. For the second half of this super pod, ESPN's own Laura Rutledge will join me. You could see her on NFL Live. She's been on the podcast before, so definitely go back and listen to the original one. Her story is incredible. She will be joined by uh, actually a friend who she's made through their work with Academy, Jess Pryles. She's a cook, an author, uh, and the creator of hardcore carnivore uh, spices and rubs and uh, Australia originally, but found her heart in barbecue in Texas and is uh, sort of making her way as a barbecue and meat expert. Uh, and they were a lot of fun to talk to. Here's that conversation. That's what she said. So I'm excited to talk to these two, uh, mainly because they seem to be friends and I'm interested in how they got to know each other, presumably through their work at Academy, but I won't presume anything. Um, and because I've had Laura on the podcast before, but so much has changed since we last spoke involving uh, a new human being that has been brought into the world, a new job, all sorts of stuff. So let's start with you, Jess, because uh, I would love to hear more about just growing up in Australia and a, a little bit about who you were before you decided to become a meat specialist. <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in Australia in a pretty, you know, big city in Melbourne, 4 million people always loved eating, um, uh, more, you know, sort of the, the more than the average, um, a very vivid memory of five servings of my mom's pumpkin soup and rolling around <laughs> on the ground in agony one time um, and kind of like cooking, but didn't really know much about cooking meat. And it was a trip to Texas that changed all that for me, because when you come here, part of what they expect you to do is barbecue tourism. And I was like, wow, it was like a real heaven's <laughs> parting like, oh, I've never tasted anything this amazing when I had my first smoked beef rib. And it really just went from there in terms of get, wanting to eat more, get, getting curious about then how it was made, and then just finding my passion and obsession as I learned all these little jigsaw puzzles coming together of like, oh, it's not difficult. It's not hard when you figure it out. And wow, I understand all these cuts and um, I've really now enjoy sharing what I learned with other people. And I think that's what's resonating. What brought you to Texas in the first place? 
Uh, I, you know, Texas has this mystique about it. It's just sort of beloved by people around the world. I always wanted to visit. Um, I guess we all assume that people have longhorns on their Cadillac still and cowboys <laughs> and things of that nature, but it's not untrue. You know, you come and you go two-stepping and you eat barbecue and all that. Um, and so I, I just wanted to visit and I completely fell in love with first Austin and then just Texan lifestyle. And we were down at a ranch this week with some friends of ours from out of state. And they sort of, they were like, how do you know so much about Texas? You're like a little Texas tour guide. I'm like, I know, I just really, really really like it. Made it my business to know a lot about it. Yeah. That's very cool though. When you find a place that just feels like you, um, how old were you when you came in? Did you immediately say, okay, I'm relocating or did it take a while? You took Texas back with you to Australia before you decided to make it your home. Yes. I went back and forth for about seven years. And in the end, I was coming over twice a year for like two months at a time. And it was kind of like, come on, Priles, it's time to make the call. <laughs> like, let's be honest here. And I just sort of picked up and moved. I had friend groups. I knew the city and it was, I call it the, the most, the least stressful international move ever made. Yeah. That's so why very low impact. Uh, Laura, you've been on the podcast before and I remember being absolutely blown away by the amount of things you had done, even just before you'd graduated college. Um, and you know, I, I would love for everyone to go back and listen to that podcast, but if you could recap a bit for those who didn't listen to it, I just a little bit about, you know, growing up and, and ballet and, and China and, and all the wild things that you've done that are just not the average uh, uh, youth experience for people. Yeah, it's funny because when you say all the words, even as bullet points, it's like one of those um, cooking competitions where they put together all these random ingredients, <laughs> right, and right, right, right. something that makes any sense at all, or tastes good. So yeah, I, I was a serious ballet dancer growing up, loved the arts, always slightly interested in sports, but never thought it would be anything that I would do, you know, beyond just being a regular fan, uh, which I still am, by the way. And then when I was uh, in my senior year of high school, well, before that, actually, I ended up studying in China for um, a year and at the Shanghai Theater Academy and basically just went there trying to get better and had a teacher who was choreographing some of the opening ceremonies for the Beijing Olympics. And so she took me with her and I was fast tracked into international living as a teenager. Um, I was 16 and turned 17 while I was over there, then ended up coming back, going to a Russian boarding school in Washington, DC, that the ballet school um, called the Kirov Academy. It's changed names a couple of times since then. And then from there decided, oh, you know what? I really don't want to do this. I don't think this is my future and sort of gave it all up and went to University of Florida and had no idea what I was going to do. And then Ended up getting an opportunity at the on-campus radio station because I needed to make extra money to pay for the ballet classes that I was still taking because I could not give up the dream. And that is where I suppose my new dream started. Yeah, it's a whirlwind. I'm exhausted thinking about it. It's also funny, too, Laura, because your your focus on originally college football and now obviously you're in the NFL side, which we'll get to. But and then your little bit of an accent make you feel so all-American. And so those who don't know your background certainly would not think, oh, yes, of course, studied in China, went to a Russian school like it just you feel so much more like probably was just prom queen and, you know, wore cowboy boots to class and, uh, you know, hung out at the at the homecoming football game. And instead, there, there's this incredible story. And one of the things that also really I was uh, so impressed by was the fact that you started scouting in college, like right. You had multiple jobs already before graduating. 
Yeah, I, I was doing the radio thing and I, I loved that. I, I still love radio. I think just telling stories via audio, which Sarah, I know you can relate to is, yeah. is so powerful. Um, and so I was writing a lot of articles and really realized that there was not a female presence at the time in college football recruiting. And this is back in you know, 2008, 2009, 2010. That's when those recruiting subscription sites were really booming, scout.com, rivals.com. And I basically worked for all of them. <laughs> I would just go around <laughs> and, and cover these seven on seven camps and uh, Nike camps. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating because I was at seven on seven camps with Lamar Jackson and Amari Cooper and some of these big time names who are now, you know, big names in the NFL at the time, they were just there with their families trying to get recruited to go to college. And um, I, I think that, you know, looking back on that time, it was figuring out where I could find my place in this business that really was so foreign to me, but also trying to figure out, you know, how I was going to develop relationships that ended up helping me so much down the road. But yeah, it, the, the scouting side of football gives you a unique understanding of the game at an early age in your career. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you guys, myself included, luckily, we all work in jobs that other people often just consider something that you do in your free time. When you're done working, you go enjoy amazing food. You go get into to watching or going to sporting events, but we've made it work. And, and Jess, I'm, I'm curious how you managed to do that because what were you doing before you visited Texas and, and the rib Katja? I had a degree in communications, which I, don't, I honestly, everyone's like, oh, I get it. I'm like, no, I don't feel like <laughs> anything I learned in college actually was practical <laughs> for everyday use. But I was doing a bunch of stuff during college. I worked at our version of like, you know, a Best Buy in the, and I was in the music department in to CDs. And I remember at lunches, I would look over and see all the guys in the hi-fi section and they were all commission-based. I'm like, why are there only dudes there? And they have this click and they're, I like the challenge of having to sell things. So I would go over my lunch breaks and have them teach me like what an amplifier was, how it worked and learn to do that. And then on my last day of college, my last exam, I actually got poached from the store to work in like a high-end hi-fi, like we'll install some very fancy stuff in your house. So I did that for a couple of years and then sort of bounced around and did some social media marketing stuff and just uh, kept trying to dip my toe in a lot of things. I think it, like Laura says, you know, she had this passion, but at the end of the day with all that she'd put into it, she knew it wasn't quite right. And I knew that I had a drive, but I wasn't sure exactly what fit. Um, and I, <laughs> I can tell you I'm working harder than I ever have in my <laughs> life right now, but I wouldn't change a thing for sure. So you come out to Texas, you mm. fall in love with a, a barbecue and at first you're going back and forth to Australia. So did you start the live fire cooking, the barbecue expertise? I, I know you saw you were one of the founders of the Australasian Barbecue Association. So you're trying to bring back some of the vibes to, to the homeland. Um, was that how you started just sort of dipping a toe in or did you full fledged like drop everything? I'm starting a new career. Yeah. So it was absolutely uh, dipping a toe in. And what happened was I came over, you know, as I said, started to eat. Then one day I tried to figure out why a brisket in America looks nothing like I was like, I'll try a brisket in Australia in my oven because I had no idea. Right. (laughs) Right. And it was what I ordered at the butcher under the name of brisket didn't look anything like a brisket in the States. And that sort of led to that curiosity of why is that? Why don't I understand about cuts and ended up falling down this rabbit hole of sort of 
breeds and cattle feed and size and all this kind of stuff. And then I would just keep coming back and forth. And as I was sort of traveling back and forth, it sort of became a barbecue missionary because at the time (laughs) Australia didn't have low and slow barbecue. We had sort of shrimp on the barbie, you know, burn a couple of sausages on a flat top kind of culture. But um, as it was starting to pick up, because I was heading over and getting more interested and gaining all this knowledge and doing these overnight cooks with pitmasters and just learning and self-educating, people were asking me like, well, what happens in Texas? And let's talk about that. I was sort of a media reference point. And then at some stage I turned around and realized like I'm doing all of this investigative journalism, but wouldn't it be great to actually be able to do this? And I went out and I bought a charcoal kettle and I got an offset pit. They're the two most difficult ways to kind of grill and smoke. And I thought if I can do this, then I'm good on any apparatus. And I just taught myself and wow. it, it went through the years. And, and, you know, I, I at one point decided I wonder what it would be like to introduce seasoning and have everyone of my online engaged audience kind of thing. Cause at the time I was sort of writing a blog about Texas and sharing some of my recipes and some of the things I was learning. And then that spun fully out of control, sharing my cooks and just my experiences. And yeah, I just, I, I figured as I kept sharing with people, wouldn't it be cool to be able to share what I think seasoning should taste like. And, you know, if no one buys it, that's fine. I'll just, I'll give everyone a Christmas present with right. name on it, you know? <laughs> and then here we are kind of all these years later, I, I have a product called Hardcore Carnivore that's available all over the world now. <laughs> um, that's amazing. And it's, it's just, you, you look for the next thing that, that drives you. And I'm going, I went back to school. Laura and I have talked about this, actually. I moved to Austin and became a Longhorns fan because I had to pick <laughs> a team, right? <laughs> And then last year I started going to school at ISU for a meat science graduate program. So now it's a real issue on game days and we've got one coming up where it's like, I'll be in a Longhorn shirt and ISU hat and just feel completely, Mm. completely (laughs) torn. So, um, but going back, it took me until I was 40 to want to go to college and finally understand that this is get a true meat education. As you say, yes. Um, Laura, you understand that uh, rivalry situation because uh, you've got your UF ties. And then, of course, you met your husband at a Bama tailgate. And now you guys get to fight about it all the time. So uh, the the college football rivalries become a real issue. So you're going to have to figure that one out, I guess, Jess. I would say stick with the with the longhorns <laughs> and the gut. Stick with where you are. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, cheat a little bit with your with your new alma mater whenever you graduate. Um, Laura, let's talk about the last couple of years for you, because when you came on the podcast with me, we learned all about your incredible background and and talked a bit about making your way in a male dominated field, especially early on when maybe people didn't expect that you would have the the background that you did of scouting and, and working early in your career. But now you've made the jump to NFL Live, which the new iteration is fantastic. I mean, I will watch anything with Mina on it, but putting you and Mina and Marcus and Dan and all these voices together that have this great um rapport with each other that goes beyond just the football has made it so much more fun for me to watch. So I learn a ton while also really feeling like you all get along and enjoy yourselves. How, how different has it been for you? And has it been a challenge to make the jump from the world that you were so accustomed to in college to the NFL? 
Uh, well, thank you for the kind words about NFL Live. It means a lot, especially coming from you. And I agree. I will watch Nina Kimes read a phone book. <laughs> she is fantastic. And by the way, she probably wouldn't read the phone book. She would give you some sort of insight into the phone book. Of and course. Feel smarter. Yes. Um, you know, it, it has been an interesting transition. I think for me, one of the biggest things, even looking back on this time last year, when we were still in the early stages of revamping the show and, and changing things around a little bit, I was hurting myself so much by doubting myself and thinking that I couldn't do it or thinking that other people were thinking, oh, she doesn't really know NFL. She's a mm. college person. And there are still people that will say that, I'm sure. And I don't know. I mean, at this point, though, I think there's been such a shift in my own thinking. And it was as simple as that, which I share that not to say, oh, this was so easy, but to say, why did I waste so much time thinking I couldn't do it? You know, why, why did I do that to myself? Even at this point in my career, there's so many people that are like, oh, you have this, you have that. Um, the self-doubt is still very prevalent. And I, I think it's, one of those things that I'll probably look back on and say, I really limited myself early on and caused myself so much unnecessary angst and stress. And, um, you know, now looking at what we have been able to build, there's so much more, I think that's possible with this group, but it does go back to truly rooting for each other. And, and, um, people always ask me like, are you guys really that good of friends? We, we really are. <laughs> we really love <laughs> each other. And I think it's so rare to find that in this business and to find that, uh, magic on a TV show that happens every day. And, um, you know, for me, it's kind of less about the actual show and more about the friend group. And I'm really thankful for finding these people and being connected with them in, in this crazy life. Yeah, I think it's it can it can be clear to the people watching that there's a true um, connection there that happens with Around the Horn, uh, highly questionable and Levitard before before they went uh, went away. Like you could really feel people enjoying that time together. You know, you added to the mix of if, if there were any doubts about whether you could, you know, tackle a new a new sport, a new um, league. Um, could you also be a, a mom, <laughs> which I am constantly <laughs> amazed by people in our business that can have children because my schedule is insane. My warning on, oh, this person's, you know, can't do it anymore. Can you now do a show on an hour's notice and things like that? I just couldn't imagine doing that while wrangling a kid's schedule. You had your gorgeous daughter Reese uh, not long ago. And how has it been? How is the, how has the balance been for you? Yeah. Um, there is no balance. I think all the time <laughs> that I was just like, just kind of failing at everything. And, and I, I say that not to be dramatic, that that is truly how I feel. I, I think that we live in such a world of comparison and people are looking on social media and saying, Oh, wow, you know, she's really doing this so great. And, and he's really got it all figured out. And, and uh, I don't, <laughs> I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. And I, I think every single day I'm, I'm like trying to figure it out. And sometimes it's as simple as I just need to sit down and take a few deep breaths. Um, and I say all that with the, the main headline being that Reese coming into my life and, and into my husband's life, has been the best thing that's ever happened to us. And it's something that, you know, I, I don't know that I even ever really imagined when I would be ready to have kids because I don't know that you're ever ready because it changes everything, um, but changes things so much for the better. And I think what it's done for me is provided a lot of perspective in a business that can be really difficult and, and at times can be all consuming. This is a reminder of what actually matters in life, right. at least from my perspective. So um, yeah, it's, it's a constant juggling act. I can't tell you how many times I've been like, 
oh no, I got to hop on this work zoom and I'm, I'm literally changing a poop diaper on the zoom <laughs> and praying that my camera is actually off yeah. or, you know, the amount of times that I'm sitting there at work and thinking, oh no, I forgot to, you know, do this with her crib and, and now she might fall out and oh, <laughs> gosh, like yeah. constant thoughts and worries and all these things. And, uh, and yet I wouldn't change any of it. Um, it, but I, I do think it's important, you know, um, whether you're a working mom, whether you're a mom only, uh, which is something that should really be a badge of honor because it's so difficult. It's the hardest job. Um, you know, we, we just should all probably realize that comparison is not the way to go about all of this because no one has it figured out and mm -hmm. we're all just trying to make it by every single day. You know, it's interesting. So many people talk about that, but I don't know that a lot of people are equipped with the tools to actually figure out how to reconcile this new world where we can see everything that everyone's doing. And we imagine to be very honest representations of what their life is when really we know that so much of it is, is just, uh, let me show you the best parts and the parts that make it feel like it's everything curated, is right? It's so yeah, curated. And, and for whatever reason, I think people could talk about it so much, but still not really have either the self-confidence or the the ability to truly understand that what you see other people present is not always, you know, the grass is not always greener. And even if it is, that's okay. Right. You know, it's a life spent trying to figure out how to have what everybody else has is, is wasted. Um, and I just, I think it's, it's, it's interesting that you focus on that Laura, because I do know that that's such a focal point for so many moms is this idea of like, we're doing it all wrong and they're doing it right. And let's judge each other and <laughs> jump on blogs and talk shit about each other. It's just like, it's wild. Um, so you know, bad. Jess, an interesting thing about your job is, is that sports is pretty much across the board. Maybe you could get away in like gymnastics or something, but otherwise, if you're a woman in the sporting world, you're presumed to be um, an anomaly. It's a shock to learn that you love sports or that you know anything about it. Cooking is like, well, women are cooks and men are chefs, right? It's like women are the ones who should be cooking all the time. But then when we expect it to be really good and stand out, then it's a, then it's a dude, right? Which is such a bullshit sort of expectation that manages to still exist even now, even as there are these incredible female chefs uh, doing so many things. But that's because once you get into the actual BS of running a restaurant and working with investors and not being harassed at work, all of a sudden the elements of being a woman are more of, a, of, of an importance than when you're just creating great food. In, in more of a more of a vacuum for you, particularly you're you're taking that next step of barbecue and grilling, which somehow also seems to be we've made it the man's domain. What was that like for you when you decided not only to to throw yourself into a new career and a new industry, but also to do so as one of the few women probably wanting to get into it? Yeah. And it's really interesting. You've hit the nail on the head like we expect our grandmother's skillets to be handed down and her recipe book, but the only domain of the outdoor kitchen, it, you know, it's a male domain. Right. Um, it, it, I didn't think about it going in much like Laura. I just spotted an opportunity or felt something that I was passionate about and went for it. Um, I, I think that one of the things that she just talked about really resonates with me as well, which is that kind of imposter syndrome, because I struggle with that a lot. Um, social media certainly has a lot to do with it, but I think I'm finding that it's a commonality with driven people 
um, that that desire to kind of keep going and push and have more. And there are days that I also, you know, I can't give you a succinct three line on what I do. (laughs) Um, And I always feel like I sell myself short. But then when I go back and look at the last 10 years of my life, I'm like, holy shit, I've done so much, but I'm terrible at talking about it because it's now all in the past and I'm focused on the future and I can't succinctly wrap that up for you. Um, So, so that's a real struggle as well. Uh, going into this industry, you also get asked a lot in interviews and what's it like to be a woman in a male dominated mm-hmm. industry. And my answer is that I, I don't, I don't even like to focus on that. I think that probably also most of the women that you've interviewed, Sarah are in their jobs because they're really good at what they do. It's not because there was an opportunity to have a woman involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I'm very passionate about making it clear that if I have followers, it's because I know what I'm talking about, not because of how I look or the fact that someone felt they needed to, you know, like, "Eh, looks like a bit of a sausage fest in here. Let's add a woman to the lineup. No pun intended. Literal sausage fest, yes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) She says while wearing a beef chief shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, clearly. Clearly, clearly. Um, But it's. (laughs) Luckily, I haven't felt much. Uh, I, I, my followers are eighty percent male. They respect uh, my audience that I that that's engaged with. They respect what I have to say about cooking. They listen to me. I don't much come up against that. You don't know what you're talking about, right? You're a girl because I can back it up, right? Um, well, they're um, also so choosing a- to follow you, right? In in a sense, right. it's a little different than I like ESPN. I wish Laura Rutledge would stop ruining it by showing up on my TV. You know what I mean, right? Like, yes, it's uh, that's it's a uh, happens it's- all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ditto. Um, let's talk about stress and how you deal with it. Because, you know, one of the great things, Jess, is that you do get to work outside and be in the open air. And that for a lot of people just feels different, even if you're working, feels different than sitting at a cubicle or a desk. Um, But it's still high pressure situations. It's all about Mm -hmm. timing. It's about results. It, you know, could absolutely blow up in your face if you spend time putting, putting something together for this great result. Oops, a daisy. I completely ruined it. Now everyone's watching and wondering how I'm going to spin this. Um, so when (laughs) you have stress, what's your best way of dealing with it? What do you like to do to, to blow off steam? I think this is the the biggest issue with turning something that you love into your work, right? Um, Mm -hmm. most of my day honestly is at a chair because there's a lot of editing and there's a lot of research and there's a lot of running of the business of hardcore carnivore, the business that has to happen as well. Um, it's, it's great to still have that creative element. It's less great to have it as a pressure, like, Oh, we're coming into Thanksgiving need to come up with new Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. dishes, you know, something no one's ever done. Yeah. (laughs) Right. 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 (laughs) But, but no one wants anything new. They still want green beans and they still want turkey. So you just kind of have to spin it. I think um, travel is a big thing for me in terms of just inspiration, watching other cultures, especially we've been, my husband and I have been exploring um, a lot of Mexico and, and the more cultural aspects down there. And um, I, I think that that's as close as it gets. And even then I'm still teaching myself to disconnect because there's still that, that, temptation to what can I share to my feed? What do I have to post to keep feeding right. the beast and, and not mess up engagement or like, Oh, this is really cool. I want to share it with people. And then you forget that you're not 
keeping something for yourself Mm -hmm. um, and recharging your own batteries. So um, I don't de-stress very well or very (laughs) frequently. However, uh, I think that what I get to do for a living, you know, the last couple of days I was at a ranch with a company that I do some work with and it was supposed to be like, Hey, I want you to, we want to just host you and you have a good time. I mean, inevitably end up cooking burgers the first night, grilling quail the second day, Mm -hmm. cooking steaks on the third night, because I can't imagine having them come out and being like, Oh yeah. And just didn't do any cooking. Like that's (laughs) crazy. Right. Right. That's why you're there. There's no real off switch. I just imagined your, your meals every day. And I have to ask, (laughs) do you ever incorporate some roughage do you ever just have a day where you're like i'm just gonna eat salad today because i've eaten meat every day for 80 straight days yes but it's probably usually meat on the salad like shredded chicken salad or taco salad or you must have a hearty digestive system wait so i was looking at your hardcore carnivore products and i know one of them has chicken fat powder so i definitely couldn't have that one but the the other spices and rubs would any of them work on a on an eggplant or a sweet potato or a vegetable. Yeah, for sure. The red rub is just a basic all purpose. Um, and there's lots of folks that still, you know, we all do, even if we like to pretend that we don't make side dishes and grill veggies <laughs> and do all that fun stuff. We have a new one coming out for Thanksgiving. That's exclusive to Academy called fried Turkey. Yes. It's supposed to be on fried Turkey, but it's jalapeno sage mm, nice. uh, and garlic. So you, put that in stuffing and put it all on day some long. tofu on some, on some fake meat. I'm yep. sure you, I'm sure you deeply respect the plant-based meats. So I will, uh, I will uh, see if I can introduce those two worlds. Laura, what about <laughs> you? I'm sure that you don't have a lot of time to relax, but let's say somehow magically uh, your child was being watched for two hours and you didn't have to work. What are we doing? You know, it's funny because um, I feel like Jess as, my amazing friend can attest to this. I really have gotten into cooking and nice. it has become a bit therapeutic to me. And and Jess is so funny because she'll, I'll post, you know, a video or something or post something uh, of me trying to grill, trying being the operative word. <laughs> and Jess will send me the most encouraging messages. And I'm like, I don't deserve this from you. I have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. I'm just like out here spitballing and seeing if anything works. But um, I found that to be you know, something that I really enjoy. And, and for me, with my schedule and, and working seven days a week, especially this time of the year, I, I've realized that I have to find little hour long pockets of vacation for myself. And, and so sometimes it is like, wow, I really want to try this recipe. I actually tried one last night that was a, it's a Thai inspired meatball uh, soup. And it's really more about the meatball than the actual soup. But we're talking about, you know, um, making chicken meatballs with with ground chicken and uh, grating an entire four ounce thing of ginger, fresh ginger, (laughs) grating a jalapeno, uh, you know, and and I'm sitting there doing that. And I think, you know, some people might be like, why why would you put this much work into this? But it truly is like the Mm -hmm. best way to decompress um, after a day. Oh, (laughs) There, there's the kiddo. I can hear her. Yeah. She said it was good, mommy. I liked it. Um, it's funny you say that because especially last year when there was, uh, so little to do because of COVID, um, I ended up having a lot of like dinner parties in the backyard where we could have people sit kind of distanced. And my husband always said, why don't we just order something? Like it takes you all day to cook. And I'm like, no, no, I like that because if I decide that this is a day I'm going to spend cooking, then I literally 
can't do anything else. I can't feel like I need to clean. I can't feel like I need to do work or listen to a podcast about sports or watch a game. Like I've just allowed myself that time to listen to music and do something else that isn't work. And I think yeah. for a lot of people, that's what it is. It's just, what's the best way to shut everything off. And you can't really multitask when you're cooking because things will go terribly wrong. <laughs> things, things will go will, badly. There. Things yeah. will burn. <laughs> things will be forgotten. Um, well, I love that you guys uh, have a little uh, text thread running uh, to keep, to keep uh, Laura from burning down the house. Uh, Jess, I have, uh, She's good. I have a brother-in-law who's <laughs> obsessed with his various kinds of meat and let me try to smoke this and let me try to do this. So, you know, I might be reaching out next time Easy. he's got an important question, but it was great to talk to both of you. And I love this, uh, connection that was made through Academy where uh, now you've got, you've got each other to rely on for college football news and uh, the best smoking techniques. It was, it was a, uh, it was a fun conversation and I might just have to try some hardcore carnivore on, on some seitan or some, uh, some tofu. We'll see. There you oh, you see have it's, to. It's yeah. so good. I, I can, I can vouch for it. It's amazing. It makes a huge difference. I'm putting it on everything. I've got thanks, the text mag to put it thanks, on everything. Laura. Oh, well, let's sign her up as a, as a spokesperson. Right? She said, it's amazing. I put it on everything. Yeah. I'm sauteing mushrooms right now. Oh thanks, my gosh. Guys. You're insane. <laughs> That's what she said. Another fantastic pod. Love talking to these ladies. Uh, you can always tweet me at Sarah Spain. If you've got guest suggestions, questions, or more, Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 